Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. And so today we're doing track one. Come on on this mixtape. We're going to talk about stability in the midst of uncertainty. How many of you guys, many times that you allow your uncertainty to control your stability. Anybody else? Am I the only one? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter 12. And what I want to encourage you this in this is to, today is, is that when trouble comes our way, people that pray keep the mission in play. Can you say that with me? When trouble comes our way, people that pray keep the mission in play. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, the year is about 44 AD. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. Come on. He's ascended into heaven. And then he did exactly what he said he's going to do. He said, I'm going to send my spirit. So I want you to go. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait until the promise of the father comes, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be baptized and you're going to do the same stuff that I did. And that prophecy, that thing that Jesus declared and that promise came true in the disciples. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They went out and they were preaching. The gospel was going all over the world. Peter was was kind of leaving the charge. You guys remember Peter before that moment, right before when Jesus was on the earth? Remember how messed up Peter was? But it's funny how when Jesus got inside of Peter, come on, through the through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Peter totally is a different guy. So Peter is going around preaching the gospel, getting in trouble. And let's look in Acts chapter 12. Now, you guys remember Jesus had like three guys that were really close to him, right? He had the, the 12 disciples, but he also had three guys. Did you know this? He had three guys. What were their names? Peter, James and John. Okay, remember that. So Peter and James are going to be talked about in our narrative today. Acts chapter 12, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So John is the first of all the disciples, the 12 disciples, that died a martyr's death. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews... Interesting, it's, he's killing people, and it pleases the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. So he's thinking, I need to get to the root of this issue. Let's take out the top guys. So he takes out James, and he arrests Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to, to be guarded by four squads of soldiers Four soldiers each. So, so four squads, four, four soldiers, like 16 soldiers, right? They're all around him. Is that right? All right. So Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So as soon as the, the celebration's over, he's going to bring Peter out to trial. Peter is going to be found guilty, just like James was, and he's going to have Peter killed. This is the plan. How many you know God also has a plan? So it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but... But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, I mean, I know the night before, the midnight hour, Peter was sleeping. That's interesting. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. And centuries stood guard at the entrance. It's interesting that Peter, the night before he's going to die, between two guards, in chains, is sleeping. 
Now, I think he learned this from Jesus. Remember, Jesus was able to sleep during difficult situations. Remember when that storm came and Peter was on the boat and he was watching Jesus and they couldn't find Jesus? And they're like, where are you, Jesus? Here's the storm. Where are you at? And where was Jesus? Jesus was sleeping in the storm. And I think Peter learned that. He's taking cues from Jesus finally. He's actually able to sleep during his storm, during his situation. And what I love about this is it shows that Peter had peace. Peter had peace in moments before his death. Before his situation changed, he had peace. See, many of us think that peace is going to come after our situation changes. Beloved, if you're waiting for peace for your situation before your situation changes, you're totally missing it. You can have peace, listen, because your situation might not change. But you can have, the, have peace in the midst of your situation. Even the not before you die, sleeping between two guards, you can have peace in the midst of trouble. And we see this with Peter. And then he writes about it, right? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 17, he says, cast all your cares or your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You guys remember that? This is Peter. Peter's talking about, he knows this. He's, he's walked this road, and here he is in a difficult situation. He's practicing what he preaches. He has peace. And then verse 7 says this, suddenly, come on, Jehovah sneaky, Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I love that. It doesn't say that he tapped him. Not a little love tap. I mean, he like, bam, wake up, Peter. I mean, he had so much peace. He was sleeping heavy. An angel had to strike him in the side to wake him up. Quick. Everybody say quick. I mean, you know, there's some urgency there. Quick. Get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, uh, what the angel was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. So here he's like, what is happening? Is this real life? Verse 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And this crazy change, everything's just, you know, God's just making a way for him. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me. So he's thinking he's having a vision. He's like, all, this, all these miracles and stuff, this isn't real. This is crazy. And so he finally gets out of the prison. And he's like, oh, this is real. This is, this is really happening. Have you guys ever had, a, had, had something happen? You're like, am I dreaming? Is this, is this real life? Y'all have seen that video, right, with the kid with the, went to the dentist and he says that? David at the dentist, is that where it comes from? Is this real life? Right, this is Peter. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. They were ready to kill me, but God has delivered me. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. There it is again. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl, Rhonda, came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed and ran back 
without opening it and exclaim, Peter's at the door. So she sees Peter. She doesn't answer the door. She runs back in. And she tells the people that are inside. She's overjoyed. Peter is at the door. And this is how they respond. Now keep in mind, they're praying. They're having an all-night prayer meeting for Peter to be released from prison. That God would move. Peter shows up. Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind. So were they praying in faith? You are out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. So Jewish people that day believed that, um, that you would have like a personal angel that actually looked like you. And so they were thinking, no, it's not Peter, it's his angel. I mean, they're like, there's no way God is answering our prayers. Have you ever been there before? God's answering your prayers and I'm like, I can't believe it. <laughs> you should have believed it the whole time. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were surprised. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. I guess they got a little excited. And described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he says this, tell James. Now, this is a different James. This is uh, James the Lesser, which would, would be another disciple of Jesus. And the brothers about this, he said, and he left for another place. Everybody say, he left for another place. I love it that it doesn't say that Peter camped out there, you know, ate a meal and just was kind of like, no, no, no. He went about his mission. He had things to do. And it wasn't a time to rest. It was a time to move. And so here we have the picture of the church. They're experiencing revival. I mean, they're, they're doing the exact same stuff that Jesus was doing. They're raising the dead. They're laying hands on sick people. They're getting healed. People are, thousands of people are coming to the faith. They're meeting together regularly. Signs, miracles, wonders, exponential growth. In fact, the church is growing every single day. They're experiencing revival. But they're also experiencing persecution. They're being arrested. They're being murdered. They're being beaten. How many know that revival is not the absence of trouble? And sometimes we think when God moves, all the trouble's going to leave. But, beloved, that's not the way it works. In fact, most of the time, when God is moving, it stirs the pot. See, trouble is often the indicator that God is moving. So if there's trouble in your life, don't say, where's God? Know that God is saying, I am moving. I am moving, and this is why the enemy is opposing you. Listen, if the devil is leaving you alone, I'm a little concerned. Trouble is often the indicator that God is moving. So when, when troubles happen, and go, don't go, what's wrong with me? You go, of course. I'm about the work of God. So they're experiencing revival, they're experiencing persecution, and they're hurting. The church is hurting. I mean, think about it. Their leaders, one of their leaders, James, one of the core guys that was following Jesus, one of their main leaders has just been taken out. He's just been martyred. And they're seized, I'm sure, with fear. They're thinking, Peter's about to die also. What's going to happen? Who's going to lead us? 
So they weren't, listen, I don't think they were praying because they were so spiritual. They were praying because they were desperate. They're hurting. They're thinking, maybe we're next. Maybe we're going to die also. And they're experiencing uncertainty. Have you ever been there? I don't know what's going to happen. Can I tell you this? Sometimes it's good that we don't know what's going to happen. But when trouble comes our way, people that pray keep the mission at play. They keep the mission in play. So how do we have stability in the midst of uncertainty? Number one, you've got to have a community of faith. Everybody say a community of faith. A community of faith. Listen, we all want friends. <laughs> Come on. We all need friends. God created you to have people in your life. The first thing that God ever said wasn't good is that man was alone. And Peter had a family. And we don't know about his biological family. We don't know anything about that. But we know he had a family. People that prayed for him, that cared for him, that loved him. This family was in the know. See, a lot of times we say our church family, but they don't know anything. Right? We're hiding things because we want everybody to have a high opinion of us. We don't want them to know, know the trouble that we're facing or the distress that we're under. Listen, me issues are we issues. And you've got to understand, we are family. And so many times we try to cover up our struggles. We try to cover up our weakness. We try to cover up our frustration. But, beloved, what you keep concealed don't get healed. It won't get healed. If you're continually trying to hide the things that you're dealing with, they will never get healed. In fact, God put people in your life to minister to you. But if you're walking around just pretending that you don't have any issues or you want to be so spiritual, who are you going to have to pray for you? Who are you going to have to believe God for you? Who are you going to have to walk you through the difficulties and the storms of life? Ecclesiastes talks about that, right? He says, woe is the man. If you fall, what happens? Woe is the man if he doesn't have someone there to help pick him up. Do you have someone in your life to help pick you up? See, this is the problem with the message of self in our culture. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. It's all about me. My friends are about me. So I'll get rid of everybody in my life that doesn't make me feel a certain way. What if they need you in their life? Maybe they, maybe they affect you a certain way because you haven't affected them a certain way. Maybe the ministry they need is inside of you, but if you eliminate the toxic people all the time, beloved, it is not about you. Me issues are we issues. And we're in this thing together. And you watch as persecution already is arising, as, and, and as the, the, the fist of culture grows stronger and stronger against the church, the united church will be the thriving church. It won't be the church that's divided and falling apart, and you, you watch, it will be what it takes for us to get together and be family. One of the most common themes that we see in the book of Acts 
is this word together. They prayed together. They fasted together. They experienced miracles together. They ate together. They were in one another's homes. This was the life of the disciples. And guess what? They were full of power. They were full of power. See, the more isolated we become, the more powerless we will be. And so it is not all about you. We're in this thing together. And if Peter didn't have these people that were in the know, that were in his life, he probably would have died. But I believe because he was praying, because they were praying, because they were believing God. And it says that. It says that twice in the passage. And he had this community of faith. Romans 12, verse 4. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of, everybody say one. One body. And we all, I love this language, we all belong to one another. I belong to you, and you belong to me. Isn't there like a song or something that says that? Yeah, something. Did you know this? Did you know that two-thirds of your New Testament in your Bible was written to groups of people that were doing life together? We go, oh, that's my verse. That's not your verse. That's our verse. Scripture is written to communities of believers. Listen, Scripture was never meant for you to just eat by yourself. I mean, you're supposed to have that, but you're experiencing it with one another. You need to have your private time. You need to be healthy spiritually, but, but not just for you. Not just for me, but for we. If one part suffers... And this is where it gets real. If one part suffers, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So guess what? When you suffer, I suffer. When you're troubled, I'm troubled. When you're happy, I'm happy. I can rejoice with those that rejoice, and I can weep with those that weep. Why? Because we're in this thing together. Because we're family. And part of the reason why we do so many things, like through the summer, we're like, what's so spiritual about going to the lake? It's really spiritual. Did you know one of the most overlooked things that we do that has severe spiritual impact is community, just fellowship. Not, not even doing a Bible study. Do we need to do that? Yes. But sometimes you just need to get in the room with somebody that loves you and laugh. You just need to come over at the house and laugh. And just sit around and watch like Brian Regan or something on Netflix and just laugh. Or tell stories and laugh and just be together. Allow the people that God has provided for you to enrich your life. And you enrich theirs. And what we have, listen, because we're so me-centered, we have the church gets a bad rap. Because we say the church is bad because of my experience. Well, what kind of experience are you bringing to the church? Because you say, well, we're all the church. It's not a place. I know. I know. But how are you contributing to the body? I mean, people talk about the church. Oh, they're full of hypocrites. Yeah. Mean-spirited people. Guess what? I've, I've experienced that too. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I've been put down by church people. By people of God. People of God have deeply, deeply wounded me. Guess what? 
The church is full of broken, jacked up people. When you come into a church, they're not perfect. I know you think they're supposed to be, but just like you, they need Jesus. And the reason why we're here is because we need Jesus. It's not because we got it all figured out. It's not a little social club where we come in and we're like, talk about how many good works. You know, we're coming in, we're going, you know what? I'm just trying to get through this thing. And I'm with all these people that are all so jacked up, and we're all just clinging to Jesus. We're all going after Jesus together. Now I'm helping you, and you're helping me, and we're processing through this stuff. Listen, yes, there are hypocrites in the church. I saw a meme, I think I shared it, that said, you know, people say they don't go to church because there are too many hypocrites. There's hypocrites at Walmart, and it doesn't keep you from going there, right? Listen, I understand bad experiences. I have had them. I've probably caused a lot of them. But can I tell you, in my experience, the greatest joys in my life, the greatest healing that has taken place in my life, the people that have been there with me through the hardest, darkest seasons of my life where they're comforting me, praying for me. They were the church. The church was there for me. Did the church wound me? Yeah, sure. But guess what? The church healed me. God used the church, the people, the body of Christ to heal me. God's not done with the church. God's not done with his people. It's his plan A. There is no plan B. So Peter had that. Peter had people that believed in him, that loved him, that were praying for him. So he had a community of faith. Secondly, he had fervency of prayer. And the church had that. They had fervency of prayer. They're worried. Peter's next. They're next. They're worried that the move of God will not continue. How many know that worry is an invitation? Did you know that? Worry is an invitation. Worry is an invitation to fear. Right? <laughs> oh, no. It's an invitation to fear, to be controlled by fear. Did you know that reacting in fear is giving glory to the darkness? Bill Johnson says it this way. He says, uh, fear is to the devil to what worship is to God. So reacting in fear is giving glory to the darkness. But worry is also an invitation to pray. And so we get to decide what we do with the things that we're worried about, the things that we're concerned about, (laughs) right? We can fear, we can live in fear, or we can pray. And I believe the church in this moment was struggling with both. I think they were afraid, but I think they were also praying. It says this, Acts 12, verse 5. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnestly praying. Not like praying for you. Right? They weren't texting prayers. They were in a gathering. They were praying earnestly. They were focused. Verse 12. Where many people had gathered and were praying. Many of them. Who? His family. His community. They were praying for him. James 5:16, the effective fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Listen, don't just pray. Pray fervently. Pray fiery. 
Not because you're so faith-filled. Sometimes it's because you're concerned. So the more I'm concerned, the more I'm concerned, the louder I need to pray. <laughs> right? Not for God to hear me. God! No. I'm praying that way because there's a desperation that's in me. And I'm putting that desperation on display. Saying, God, I, I need you. I'm hungry. I need you to come through. I need my situation to change. I need you to work, God. Earnest prayers are prayers of des- desperation. And God answers their prayer. Now, their prayer wasn't that faith-filled. Remember? By their amazement. I mean, they didn't even believe that their prayer was being answered. Just like you, they learned to doubt. They learned to be uncertain when they prayed. Their prayers were fervent, but uncertain. Again, maybe because they were uncertain. They were so fervent. Y'all okay? And then we would say this, because I've been taught this. Well, God only answers faith-filled prayers. Tell that to Peter. I believe this. I believe that their prayers were faith-filled, but they were also uncertain. And I think you can have the presence of both. What if I told you that just the act, just the act of praying is faith? Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Oh, (laughs) because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is or he exists And he is a rewarder of those who earnestly, one translation says, diligently seeks him. So when you pray, what are you doing? You're believing that he is and that he rewards. So simply by praying, you're expressing faith. Y'all okay? This is the thing they were uncertain about, the outcome. They were concerned about the outcome. They were uncertain about the outcome. See, faith is not the absence of uncertainty, but trusting God in the midst of it. Well, how do you know they were trusting God? Because they were praying. (laughs) See, our certainty does not lie in the answer we want, but in the God who hears us. And so we're not, we're not placing faith in what we're praying for, we're placing faith in the one we're praying to. And this is what they believed. They believed that God heard them. Their expectation was rooted in the God who answered. So God answers our prayers. Our job is to answer the door when it knocks. So when Peter's knocking at the door, when it's time for the prayer to be answered, will you answer the door. Will you answer? Because many times we've prayed, we've done our due diligence to pray, but will we answer the door in faith, believing that the thing we've been praying for is about to walk through the door? I uh, love Amazon. Anybody else in here? Like you're addicted? Like I buy things on Amazon that I don't need just so I can get my doorbell ring and open a package and open it. You guys ever get the package and you know what's in the package, but you just want to see it? Right? I love it. I love it so much. It's like Christmas time 
every time Amazon comes. So I'm ordering stuff there like every week. I'm like, well, I don't need to go to the store and get it. I'd just rather Amazon deliver it, right? It's about the same price. So I could have it today and go to the store, but I'd way rather get a box to open at my house. I don't know. It's just weird. My, all my Christmas presents are, are brown boxes that say Amazon on them. This, they're the best. And so we have this little column outside of our front door, and there's a slot between the wall and the column, just a little slot. And so sometimes the Amazon guy will come, and they'll, like, leave it. You know, we have this maybe, like, an eight-foot eight gap between our door and the opening little corridor. And sometimes they'll leave it, like, right there, like at the opening. So weird. Like, you know, can you walk, like, eight feet and put it by the door? It's just weird. You know, you have those little video cameras. I'm like, are you scared of, like, coming? Like, just a few more feet. I mean, you know that people, like, steal these boxes all the time. I mean, it's just a few more feet. And so one day I get, you know, alert. Doorbell rings. You know, all the little buzzers going off. You know, all the notifications that my package has been delivered. And so I go and I open the door and I'm like, Where's the package? Like, did somebody already steal it? Like, I just got the notification like 30 seconds ago. Probably less than that. Probably like half a second ago. <laughs> like, waiting at the door. Now, open the door. There's no package. Right? So I'm like, pulling out my phone, texting Amazon, you know, or sending them messages to their thing. You know, I'm like, where's my package? I'm so disappointed. Been waiting on this. I really need it for the weekend. And so I just walked out a little further. Walked out and I'm like looking around for it. I'm looking around, and it's in that slot. It's in that slot between the column and the house. Just this little six-inch gap, perfect for Amazon packages to kind of be hidden. I answered the door, but I had to walk through the door, and sometimes I feel like the answer is there. You just got to look for it. And I think many times we're like, I, need, I want God to come and show up in a way that I want him to show up. And this is what they're dealing with. Peter shows up. It's a form they don't recognize. The timing, probably too late, later than their timetable. They'd probably already given up. They might have thought he's dead and his angel shows up. I don't know. It's just They're weird. They don't even believe God's going to answer their prayers at this point. I'm sure they're they're in the midst of discouragement. But sometimes God answers our prayer, and it's a form that we don't recognize. Just answer the door. Sometimes when we pray, God answers. It's on a day that we don't expect. Just answer the door. See, your job is not to knock. You do knock on the door, but when God knocks on the door, answer the door. Your job isn't to answer the prayers. That's God's job. Your job is to answer the door. God, what did you deliver? And sometimes it's because it's not the way that we want it to show up. We miss what God has done. And so I would say this also, that sometimes the answer to our prayers is in an answer that something maybe we didn't even pray. But God's answering in a certain way that we can explore just a little bit to open that up. And sometimes it's just miraculous. And we just need to answer the door. So, if we're going to have stability in the midst of uncertainty, we need to have a community of faith. We need to have fervency of prayer, expectation. 
What you've been praying for might be behind a door that you're unwilling to answer. What you're praying for might be behind a door that you're unwilling to answer. See, some of you are longing for fulfillment, and you think fulfillment will only come this way. And God's going, why don't you explore what I provided? It's there, but it's just not coming in the package that you wanted it. The third thing is this, urgency of mission. When trouble comes our way, people that pray keep the mission at play, in play. Mission. So we have people, we have prayer, and we have mission. So when we think about our mission, we think, I just need to get stable before I do what God's called me to do. Right? I know that God's called me to do something, but I'm just, I just, I need to get some things worked out in my life. I mean, that could have been Peter that day. Right? He's got the community. He's got the prayers. And what does he do? Take a couple days off? I would have, but not Peter. It says that he left to the next place. There's an urgency in this story. The, the first urgency we see is from the angel. The angel's like, cow, get up, hurry, quickly. Let's go. It's time. Beloved, do you have some urgency to be about what God has called you to do? Stability does not mean immobility. In fact, I would say this, the church is most stable when it's moving. The church is most stable when it's moving. So we have the urgency from the angel. Then we see the urgency from Peter. Then he left for another place. Then he left for another place. Then he responded to the green light. And we've called this year, 2019, we we feel like the Lord told us prophetically, that 2019 is the year of the green light. It's the year for you to move in to what God has put in your heart. And guys, we gave this message in January. It's the last week in June. Have you responded? Have you put your foot on the gas? Or are you just waiting for the light to turn a different shade of green? The light is green. The light is green. Are you about the mission? Well, I'm uncertain. You go ahead and move out in the uncertainty. You watch God respond to you. You you will have more certainty as you move into it than you do right now by sitting on it. Move into mission. There's a, there's a quote that says this, is that uh, I looked and looked and to try to find out who originated it, but it says, God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has church. See, it's not about God's plan for your life. It's about your life for God's plan. It's about you getting in on what God's doing. What is the green light in your life? What has God put in your heart to do, and why are you sitting there? Because traffic is backed up. There's things that are waiting to happen for you to move forward. Just move forward. Do you have an urgency for it? Do you have an urgency for it? This is the year. This is the year for you to start responding. It doesn't mean fulfillment. It just means motion. 
Are you moving into what God's put in your heart? Or are you sitting on it because of uncertainty? Have you responded? Have you answered the door? Some of you, it's time to stop. There's some thinking patterns. Come on. There's some other things at the intersection of your life that you need to stop in order for you to move forward. Some of you, it's thinking patterns. Some of you, it's addiction issues. It's mindsets. It's attitudes. It's complacency. Stop and move forward into the destiny that God has given you, that God's put in your heart. It's, listen, it's not just your mission. It's our mission. It's not a me mission. It's a we mission. We're doing it together. We're doing it together. That's why we're here as a church. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to, quote, unquote, feed you. We're here to lead you into what God's called you to do. This is, this is what the church is for, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip the saints for mission. You will, you will never get stable until you start moving to what God's called you to do. I know it's scary. I know it's uncertain, but you just got to respond. I mean, can you imagine, Peter? What if I get arrested again? The mission's more important than my comfort. Stability in the midst of uncertainty. Community of faith. Fervency of prayer. And urgency of mission. When trouble comes our way, people that pray keep the mission in play.